848 in the Pew Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible to use at home, then please do feel free to take that as our gift to you today. We have more that we can replace in the pews here with them. So John 15, we're continuing in our series on the I Am Statements of Christ, His Identity, and learning about that and in Him. So let's read these verses together. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. I know many of you know the name Michael Phelps, uh, perhaps one of the greatest athletes uh, who's ever lived, certainly is living now. He is, without a doubt, the greatest Olympic uh, athlete that has ever been. Uh, the most decorated for sure. So he is a swimmer, as you may know, and he has 28 medals in four different Olympic events over 16 years. 28 medals, gold, silver, and bronze all together. The closest other person is still 10 medals behind him, so he'll be in the lead for quite a while yet. And I came across recently this interview that that Michael Phelps was uh, doing with Bob Costas, and they were interviewing about the 2016 Olympics in Rio. And uh, Bob Costas looks at him and he says, hey, you know, you're, you're a guy who likes closure. Uh, you're known for finishing the job. You're known for your, your grit and, and getting things done. And so he said, let me put a hypothetical uh, before you. Let's say it's the last event in Rio. It's the 100 fly. And you are working hard and you come just a little bit short. So you, uh, you, you get silver instead of gold. And then he said to him, is that going to haunt you? And Michael Phelps was really quick with the answer. Uh, he said, no. 
It's not going to haunt me because I can look back at how I prepared. I can look back and see everything I did in the process. I can look back at the way that I was prepared. And he said, I can know deep down that I did my very best. And so what he was doing there, what did he just do? He did what just about every single sports interview and sports uh, coach ever does in these types of situations. He focused on the process rather than the outcome. The process rather than the outcome. He said, you know, you, talk, you ask me about the goal, but all I can control is the process. All I can do is work on what I can work on. Ultimately, I can't decide that I'm a better swimmer than anyone else. I have to focus on what I can do, and then if that ends up being the best, then that's what it is. But it's not going to haunt me because I'm going to focus on the process, not in what the result is. And that's become something of a mantra in uh, the sports world. Certainly, it's become a mantra in the business world, and if you read like productivity-type blogs or listen to podcasts, and you're going to hear things like this, that if you want to achieve your goals, the, the very best thing that you can do is to, sure, think about the goal for a second, but then forget the goal and focus on the process, because ultimately, you can't decide what the outcome is of anything, but you can decide how you prepare the process is something that you can control. This is like every single post-game uh, coaching interview ever. I can't even watch those things anymore. When they interview the coach who's just lost, you know, you're like, oh, this is so awkward. But uh, they, they always do this. Every single sports interview, just watch. They, what the coach does is he takes results-oriented questions and turns it into process-oriented answers every single time. Your defense, they, they gave up 45 points. What's going to prevent you, coach, from giving up 45 points next time? That's the outcome, right? The outcome is like, you lost all these points. What is the coach going to do? The coach is going to say, oh, well, you know, we're going to hit the weight room. Uh, we're going to, you know, work on getting off our blocks. We're going to, you know, he's going to go into the process. He's not going to say anything about the 45 points. He's just going to shoot himself in the foot if he does that, right? He focuses on the process. It's true in sports. It's true in school. You don't, you don't have control over which grades you get, who eventually puts A, B, C, D, or F on your paper. You don't have any control over that, but you can control how well you prepare for things. It's true in other things as well. Weight loss, you know, it's like at the end of the day, you need to change the process, not just the outcome, because that can be elusive. So I say all that to say I want to switch from the, that realm of business and productivity and and, and talk about our spiritual life. And I, I say this um, knowing that, that everybody in this room, because this is true of everyone in general, wants outcomes of a spiritual life. We want results. We want to be changed. I know in part, part of, maybe part of you feels like a sense of obligation um, being here, but but we're here primarily because we're leaning into a spiritual life and we want to be different than we are, a different kind of outcome. And the, the way that the Scriptures talk about outcomes is, is fruit. Fruit. Fruit that's developed. And these are things that everybody wants. These are human longings. Think about Galatians chapter 5, most famous passage about fruit called the fruit of the Spirit. 
And in that passage, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And by the way, he doesn't say these are the fruits of the Spirit. He says singular. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is one thing that's developed in you that is connected to all these other things. Why does he say that? Because there is no way to be joyful ultimately without peace, is there? If you don't have peace in your life, then you're not going to have joy because you won't have any security. There's no way to be loving without being self-controlled. Because how can you love someone if, you're, if you just do whatever you want to do? So all of these things are tied together. He says there's one fruit that's produced, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and then he says this, after all, listing all those things, gentleness, patience, kindness, goodness, gen, uh, self-control, he says, against these things there is no law. What does he mean by that? He means this is what everybody wants. You ever heard of a law against self-control, against peace, against love? You ever heard of an atheist who doesn't want to be more loving? Or think about someone from a different worldview or different religious perspective. Do they not want to be faithful, considered faithful? These things, there's no law against these things. Everybody wants fruit. Everybody wants results. Everybody wants to be different from than they are in the end. The question and the differences of approach come with how you get that. The question is not do we want fruit, it's how do we get it? How do we get these outcomes? And what we often do, like that world of sports and like those journalists and like many others, we fall into the trap of thinking about the results more than we think about the process. We think about how we want to be more peaceful. We think about how we want to be more loving. And it's like we're, I've had this image in my mind this week as I've looked at this passage, we're, we're walking in the garden and we see all these fruits that other people have and we, we want to pick them up and we want to strap them to ourselves and we think, I really just wish I could be in this place where I had self-control, I wasn't lusting anymore, I, I, didn't, I, I really cared about people and we see people that are different than us and we think, I want that and and we just kind of strap this fruit onto us and hope that it's true of us and hope that people don't ask too many questions. Perhaps we want to seem the way that we are more than we actually are. And so we strap fruit on ourselves and call ourselves trees, but that's exactly not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying you need to go and pick up all these fruits and be all these things. What he's saying is, you need to attach yourself to me, and then these things will grow organically in your life. And so the focus is totally different. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You attach yourself to me, and then you grow the fruit in your life. And so here's how we'll summarize it this morning. Focus on the root, then watch the fruit. Focus on the root, then watch the fruit. Focus on Christ, not an outcome. Focus on the process of going deeper into knowledge and understanding and experience of Christ, and then watch how the fruit 
the things that all of us want to be true come about in our lives. So first, look at this. Focus on the root. What is the root? It's Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Why does Jesus say, I am the true vine? What does he mean by true? Is he, is he talking about, is there such thing as a false vine or a wrong vine? Yes, there is. Scripturally speaking, what he's doing here is he's tapping into a picture that goes throughout the Old Testament. The vine in the Old Testament is Israel itself. Israel was supposed to be the vine in the vineyard of, of God's care. They were supposed to produce fruit. And so if you look at the prophets, especially, you see all this imagery of the vine. And the vine is supposed to be Israel itself. But guess what? In every single context, every single one in the Old Testament, it's always negative. Always. They're always compared to an unfruitful vine. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene and He he gets into that metaphor and He says... I am the true vine. What he's saying is this. I am the true Israelite. I am the one who has what you could not produce on your own. That's why he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you would continue to be this unfruitful vine. The story would continue on and on again. What is the story? The story is this. God sets His people free. And then they follow Him, but then they're unfaithful. And then He sends prophets to warn them, and they ignore the prophets. And then they go into exile. And in exile, they repent, and they turn back to the Lord, and He brings them back. And the cycle then repeats over and over again. But they never can reach this status where the vineyard in God's garden, they never get there. They never have the fruit in and of themselves. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene and He says here, I am the true vine, He's giving them rest from that struggle. And He's saying, guess what? Things are changing with Me. It's not that you now need to be the vine. The things are changing. Why don't you think of yourself this way? You're the branch. I'll be the vine. I'll be the vine that you couldn't be. And what you need to do is just attach yourself to me and then together we will be the true vine we'll be the Israel that is supposed to be but don't focus on being the vine anymore focus on attaching yourself to me and I'll be the vine how do we attach ourselves to Christ the central command here comes in verse 4 abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We attach ourselves to Christ by abiding in Him. What does that mean? Abiding is the practice of receiving what God offers us from Himself. Abiding is the practice of receiving what God offers us from Himself. It's my definition. It's probably an imperfect one. But that's the sense here. The organic metaphor. We're attached to Christ. It means we receive the nutrients from the vine Himself. We receive what He offers. We don't really talk about that word abiding very much. I was trying to think of a good example of what it means to abide. It's just kind of an old way of understanding something. And 
we don't really have a lot of references to it. I mean, I think some of us, maybe if you've seen the, the movie The Big Lebowski, uh, you know that the dude abides. Uh, and I actually haven't ever seen that movie, so I'm not recommending it. But I, I have enough pop cultural references in me and I've seen enough clips of it to know that there's this dude and the dude abides. And uh, I get the sense that it was probably just him chilling out, you know. The dude abides. That means he's just, he's just chill. Um, I'm not going to go to the Big Lebowski for a biblical definition of abiding, though. Um, so what was abiding, what does it mean? And I was thinking about this all week. And all week as I was thinking about it, I kept checking my phone for election results. <laughs> over and over and over again. Break and study. Break in doing something else. I'd, hey, let's check out. How's the electoral college playing out, you know? Um, different networks, check in. Spare a minute. On the road. Might as well tune in for a few minutes. Get home. Turn on the news. What better picture of abiding? Walking with something. And I wouldn't do that if it didn't feed me something. Why would I do it if it didn't feed me? What does it feed me? Well, it feeds entertainment. For many of us, politics is like sports. Something we like to watch. Entertains us. Feeds me some fear. Some fear about the future. Um, how this country might be divided. Uh, feeds me some drama. Some things to, to kind of be excited about. It feeds me good things too. It feeds me knowledge of our governmental system. Oh yeah, that's how that works. Oh, that's how they report those numbers. It feeds me other things. Uh, prayer points, for sure, as I'm praying throughout the week for the election. So it fed me certain things, but do those things ultimately uh, grow in me some kind of fruit? It probably does. What that fruit is, is probably a mixed bag. But that idea of coming back to receive more from a source that is feeding you is the idea of abiding. And so we have to ask ourselves, when Jesus says, abide in me, we have to ask ourselves, well, then what do we receive from him? What is it that we get from him that gives us this nourishment? And the passage tells us we get three things from Christ. First, we get his words. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. His words feed us. That's one of the things that it means to abide in Him is that we are filled by the Word of Christ. You remember in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is wrestling uh, with Satan in the wilderness and He's being tempted. And one of the things He quotes back to Satan to get him off of his back is this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Which is a quote from the Old Testament. He's saying, look, I'm being fed by more than just physical things for my strength. I need the Word of God. Or the Word of Christ, as the New Testament says. Christ was there at creation, by the way. Christ is the Word through which the world was created. His Word extends not just in His statements in the Gospel. The Word of Christ is the Word over the whole Scriptures, as we have a record of it. So my question to us is, when did we start thinking about reading and memorizing and knowing the words of Christ as an obligation versus something that fills us, that we abide in. 
that is food to us, something that we need and feed off of to hear what Christ has to say about something. When we start thinking about amounts of, of the words and, and systems versus this verse, this promise of Christ is feeding me this week. I can put it before me. That's what he says. When we have his words, we abide in him. The word of Christ, by the way, is how we get our faith in the first place. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so the first nourishment that we need is to be attached to this vine in the first place, to hear the word of Christ, to hear it and then believe in it, is to attach ourselves to the vine. And then we keep coming back for our nourishment to Christ. Christ gives us His words. Secondly, He gives us His love. This is amazing in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now that first point is something that I think evangelicals talk about a lot. Abiding in the Word of God. The Word of God is important. How many of us spend equal time this? That we abide in His love. That as the Father loves the Son, we know and experience and feel and feed off of His love of us. Is that something we're comfortable with? Is that something we're used to? In the same way that we feed off of His Word, we feed off of His love. Is there ever a sense of a practice of your life of sitting in Christ's love to know Him as a loving presence, to feel His pleasure in you, His joy over you, to, to be warmed by the embrace of Christ to you. How do you feel when I read Zephaniah 3.17, which says this, that God will rejoice over you with gladness, that He will quiet you by His love, that He will exult over you with loud singing. You feel uncomfortable? That you are exalted over? When's, so much of our spiritual life is about, I was wrong, I'm, I sinned, I need to repent, I should do better. And these, these thought processes go through our heads and we're abiding in, in our sin then. But he says, abide in my love for you. Abide in the fact that I exult over you with singing. I will quiet you with this love. When have you been quieted recently? By the love of Christ. Knowing that He loves you and cares for you. Not just in an obligatory way, but as the Father loves Him. That's what you're invited into. His Word feeds us. His love feeds us. Thirdly, we get His joy. Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now what you need to see about this joy is that it's a joy beyond circumstance. We don't think of Jesus as a very joyful person. We often think about His death. We often think about His burdens. We think that he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, which is true what the Scriptures say, that he bore the weight of sin, that he was in the garden sweating like drops of blood, um, 
asking if this hour could be passed over, this cup could be passed from him, and then dying on the cross. It doesn't seem very joyful, but the Scriptures also say that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured all those things. He endured the cross. And see, Jesus had an underlying joy that went beyond the circumstances of what he needed to do to secure that joy for us. And so, his whole life and his death and his resurrection was bent towards bringing us into the family of God and the joy of having us at the table with Him. What we're told here is this. We can have that joy from Him when we abide in Him. We can look beyond our circumstances, our lives, which are, yes, filled with snatches of happiness and experiences that are good, but also taking up our cross and following Jesus and it's hard. There's circumstantially going to be things that are hard, but there's a joy that's set before us like Christ. And when we feed on Him, we have the joy in us that enables us to move past circumstances into a future and a hope that He gives us. And you see, all of these things happen when we focus on Christ, on what He gives us, abiding in Him. Not when we focus on what the results may be. The results may be good things. But as the writer of Ecclesiastes would tell us today, if you focus your life on having those good things, those good outcomes, it will be like a mist that vanishes at dawn. If your whole life is about getting peace, I mean, you may have some snatches of peace, but there may be some turbulence that along the way as well. You need something beyond just the outcome. You need a focus on Christ Himself, on the root, and then... Then you watch the fruit because the fruit inevitably comes. If you focus on Christ, you do get the fruit inevitably. You just don't know what it will be or when it will happen. It's what Jesus meant when he said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to you. It's not saying that everything else is unimportant. There's lots of important things. Having security in your life, peace, goodness, having good experiences, having financial security. There's all kinds of good fruit that would come in your life and does come in your life. But if you seek first the kingdom, then you get everything else because everything is ultimately found in Christ. But thank God He does give us fruit that we can watch, that we can see organically growing in us when we focus our life on Christ. So let me just answer a couple of questions about that fruit. First, what is the fruit? What is the fruit that is produced when we focus on Christ? And that's hard to answer because the Bible uses the word fruit in many different circumstances. It's one of the primary metaphors for what the results are in the Christian life. But let's just look at this passage and then look at a couple others. But in this passage, we're told here, one of the fruits is obedience. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. One of the fruits that results from, um, from being focusing on Christ is that increasingly you want to obey Him. Increasingly, you say, my life is not my own. My sexuality is not my own. My money is not my own. My time is not my own. I release these things to you. Obedience is one of the fruits. What about this one? Love for others. This is a big one in Scripture. Verse 12, This is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. One of the marks of the Christian life, one of the fruits that you can watch is to watch how well you're loving other people. Is there a, is there a sense of, of, a, of a growing in love towards the body of Christ? Or do you continue to avoid people and continue to have evil thoughts towards people? And you can watch that fruit, that fruit develop in you. John in his epistles, the first, second, and third John, tells us that you can't say, you can't have a love for God without a love for brother. It's one of the markers that demonstrates that you have the love of God in your life, is that you love others. Here's another fruit. Friendship with God. This is an unexpected one. Fifteen, Verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. One of the fruits of abiding in Christ is that you have a growing friendship with God. Would that be how you describe your life with God? Would that be even in the top five list of things, the way that you think about God? Is God only to you a righteous judge? He is a righteous judge. But is that primarily how you think of Him? Is He just a Savior? He does save. What about this? Your friend. Again, we get uncomfortable. The sense of waking up and experiencing life together with a friend. You have a friend with you at all times. Jesus calls us His friend. And the more that we grow and focus on Him, the more we see, like, that's actually true. I... I love God in the sense that he's, he's with me. He's my friend. Of course, I've already referenced uh, Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that grows in us is not just these external things. It's also what's going on inside of us. That love, that joy, that peace, the patience that grows in us is a result of us focusing on Christ. Also, repentance. John the Baptist, um, when he was warning the religious leaders of the day, he says to them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When you have a focus on Christ, increasingly you see the lack of your own worth and you repent and you give that to the Lord, that repentance. It's an evidence of the fruit. And so we could go on and on like this. There's lots of fruit that results because of a focus on the root. As we get closer and closer to Christ, we can begin to watch how these things develop organically in our lives. So what is the fruit? It's all of these things. Here's the second question. How does it feel to produce fruit? And the answer to that question is, it hurts. It hurts. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We'll talk about the branch that's taken away in just a moment, but look at that second part of the verse. Every branch is pruned. What does pruning mean? It's when the vine dresser cuts the branch. Why would he cut the branches of his own vineyard? Well, the passage tells us so that we bear more fruit. It hurts. There's pain. Now let me just speak to those of us who 
who are in pain this morning for just a second. Because the overwhelming feeling when you're in pain, be it a physical pain, an emotional pain, the pain of loss, uh, the pain of being out of control of your life, the overwhelming feeling when we have pain is this, if we're Christians, I must be doing something wrong. Now, it's theoretically possible that you are doing something wrong, and you're shooting yourself in your foot, and you're, you're hurting yourself in some kind of way. That does happen. But overwhelmingly, the pain that comes into our lives is not something that we have direct control over, is it? It's something that God brings in or allows to come into our life. So let me speak to you if you're in pain, of your, not of your own doing. You aren't doing anything wrong. This is what it feels like to follow God and be faithful. He prunes. He cuts back. And there's more and more fruit. And here's the encouraging thing. You probably don't even realize the fruit that is being produced. You're probably not even aware of it. That's why I say to you, watch the fruit. Figure out some ways to understand how you might be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not self-evident. Oftentimes it doesn't feel like we're growing. Oftentimes it feels like all it is is pain and repentance. I'm doing wrong things. I need help. And then there's pain, but there is growth as well. How do we watch the growth of God in our life? Let me just give you three quick Practical things that have helped me in this regard. The first one is examining prayer. What is examining prayer? That's where you pray in such a way as watching your life. The last 24 hours is the most helpful measurement. Think about the last 24 hours. Bring the Lord into those moments. When you got up, how did you feel? When you interacted with that person, they made you feel badly about yourself. What were your thoughts? Bring those things to the Lord. Did you sin? Repent of it right then. You can walk through your day hitting the highlights with Him and examining your life. That helps you see that you aren't just living this life apart from the vine. You're actually connected to Him and everything that's happening is organically bringing fruit into your life. The second way is journaling. You ever read an old journal? Like from years ago? What do you feel? Probably overwhelming embarrassment. But here's how I feel when I read old writing. Like, who is that person? You know? There's that sense of like, or maybe you remember. Like, I remember when I was like that, but man, I'm way different now. Why? Because that little snapshot lets you know what you were like then, but you can watch the fruit. Man, I don't, I don't see that anymore. I don't live that way anymore. I don't struggle with the same things anymore. That helps. Keep a record. We have a journal out right now, a devotional that you can take home with you today if you haven't had one, that has a journaling component. So helpful to write these things down. Third would be a spiritual friendship. No one helps us see growth in our life like other people watching the growth for us. This is just true. It can be an official relationship, like a counseling relationship or a spiritual direction relationship. But even just friendship in general or a spouse to look on and say, I see how you've changed. I remember when my wife said, you're a different person, you're a different husband. This is four or five years into marriage than when we first got married. And I said, I don't really see it, you know, because I just think I'm me and I think I always stay the same. 
but she saw some changes in me. The final thing that we want to leave with today is this. The final challenge I have for you is to stay and abide in Christ. Stay in the circle of this growth. You know, this organic growth happens kind of in a cycle. There's sunshine. There's watering the roots. There's growth. The growth helps you get more sunshine. It's organic. It grows in us. But the passage tells us that we are to stay in that circle of growth. If you disconnect from Christ, you disconnect from the source of your life and you die. Verse 2, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, it takes away. The branch can be disconnected from life. Now this brings up big discussions for us theologically. How do we understand this? Is it possible to be a branch for a while and then not be a branch anymore? Is it once saved, always saved? Or can you be saved for a little while and then lose your salvation? Is that what Jesus is talking about here? It's difficult, scripturally speaking. We think about passages like, no one can snatch anyone from the Father's hand and God holds His people in His hand. And that is a true statement. But also we think about other things like make your calling and election sure. Paul tells us that we should make sure that we stay close. There's a lot of tensions there. There's a lot of tensions that we can't resolve in this last couple of minutes. But what helps towards the resolution is understanding this. In Scripture, we're always told God's perspective on a limited level and our perspective from a practical level. There's God's perspective and there's our perspective. And we're not always told what His perspective is. We know that in the mind of God, we're always held in His hand. Those who are His will always be His. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But we also know that experientially, from what we know, we can walk away. And the command here is to stay, remain, abide, even when there is pain, And when there is big sin, think about the big failures in your life. Those often are the ones that want to make us leave Christ because we've failed in such a big way. But big failure is part of the cycle of growth because every time there is failure, whether it's small or big, there is opportunity for repentance and there's opportunity for grace to be applied to us. And then that prunes us. Maybe there's some circumstantial things that result because of your sin. You sin in some kind of way and it's causing pain. It's causing hardship. And you know that it's because you sin. But that's part of the pruning process. So long as you stay in Christ, you stay with Christ, you stay in the circle, then you will always have a result of bearing fruit from Him. You always stay in that cycle, in that circle. When we were uh, trick-or-treating last weekend, we were one of the few who went out uh, in our neighborhood, so we got a big haul uh, of, of candy. And um, my boys were just doped up on sugar that night. They were going crazy. I have three sons. Um, and so they were, they were running outside, and we were letting them get all their energy out, or as much as we could before bed. And so they were just running in the front yard, and we have a tree in our front yard. 
and there's kind of some concrete around it in the porch, and it kind of creates a circle around the tree, and my guys were just running in circles around this tree. Nobody was telling them to do it. They were just joyfully running and running and running. And what they were saying uh, was, <laughs> I'm winning. No, I'm winning. No, I'm winning. <laughs> I'm in the lead. No, I'm in the lead. And they were laughing. They were having fun. But from their perspective, uh, they were winning, right? <laughs> and I was watching that and looking at them. I was thinking, you know, when you're running in a circle, you're always winning. <laughs> I guess the glass half empty perspective is you're always losing. But you can always kind of position yourself like, hey, you're kind of behind me, right? You're always winning if you're in the circle. When you're running this race with Christ in this cycle, you're always winning if you stay in the circle because He is the one that's feeding you. He is the one who is making you alive. He's the one who's and just, I love how the metaphors even get confused here at the end. In verse 16, he says, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your fruit abides. What does that mean? It means that when you're pruned back and where you have pain and yet some fruit comes from it, then you can say, okay, now I have a little more self-control. I'm acknowledging this. And you bring that into the cycle and you say, thank you for this. And you're bringing everything into this cycle over and over again. You have joy. And you experience the joy, but then there's something painful that comes into your life, and then you have to recover from the pain. And then maybe some sin creeps in, and you have to repent of the sin and come back to Christ. And you keep sitting in His love, and you keep feeding on His Word, and you keep taking of His joy, and you keep falling back and then moving forward. And all of this cycle grows in you fruit. If you remain in Him, Stay in that cycle. Stay close to Christ. Keep your focus there. Then you will see the fruit. Let's pray.